This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Rob Tombrella is a pastor at Grace Church and the speaker on this message. My name's Rob. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I want to welcome everybody again and ask you, if you don't mind, to turn in your Bibles or take out your devices and turn to the book of Genesis where we have been in a series on the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Genesis is the first book in the Bible, so we've been exploring the beginnings, the origins, the, how everything started, how everything came to be, kind of getting back to the basics. What does the Bible say how things started? Every week, as Pastor Craig's been preaching, and he's, he's uh, at a sister church in New Orleans this morning, preaching and serving that church, but as... Uh, as we've been uh, tracking through Genesis, we've been asking the question, what does, what does this mean? What's, what's being said here? And how does this affect us? And how does this change us? How does this transform and, and adjust our lives and our thinking? And today we are in chapter 5. So we're about at the midpoint in, the, in this series. And we're going to be looking at all of chapter 5 and the very beginning of chapter 6. So kind of a, a long passage, but a lot of it is... is re, uh, reading portion, which I'll get through that pretty quick. And, and one big idea I want you to hold on to this morning is, is this. I don't know everybody's past. I don't know everybody's history here. And so it, it's with great joy that I can say this to you, that no matter how dark your past is, or maybe how dark your present is, you can find favor with God. Now, this is news that you might not at first see as we're tracking through the genealogy of chapter 5, but I trust that you'll see it as we get closer in and move into the person of Noah, as we close in there, that you today can find favor with God, no matter how dark your past is. So let's pray and we'll get going. Lord, we ask that according to your supernatural love and grace. You would open up our eyes, you'd open up our ears, you would ignite our hearts, and you'd move us to you. We'd move closer to your heart, and then we'd move closer out to people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's take a look at this section of Scripture, and I want to give you some handlebars for sort of the chapters and, and it's this. Um, in, in all of chapter 5, we see that people multiply. And then at the beginning of chapter 6, we see that evil increases. And then the last section we're going to look at today, we see that grace overcomes. People multiply, evil increases, and grace overcomes. So let's look at all of chapter 5. If you can just kind of lean in here, I'm going to read this entire section and make some comments about it. Chapter 5 starts this way. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. So, so note how, I just, how that was just 
written, that's going to be repeated. Note some, some themes that get repeated as I walk through this. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. They told me in seminary, you just say it with boldness, and they just, people assume you know what you're talking about. <laughs> Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel, 840 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. And after Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Okay, so here we see people multiply and we also see that there's certain themes that keep being repeated like the, the age strikes you. And the exactness, like they're keeping count of the years, but everybody's living like really long. And also, they all die, with the exception of Enoch. Do you note that? The, the repetition is, and he died, and he died, and he died. Then you get to Enoch, and he didn't die. So, what's up with that? Well, what we see here is that God is blessing his people. They are multiplying. If you see in, uh, in chapter... I'm sorry, verse 1, uh, God created man and made him in the likeness of God. It was God's intent to bless the world through the creation of man. That's the, the, the pinnacle of his creation. The treasure of his creation is man, made in his very likeness, able to do things all the other creatures couldn't do. Uh, a, a spiritual being, not just a rational uh, object kind of being, but, but a spiritual being and in the likeness of God, male and female, he blesses them and names them and says again that he creates them. And then they're flourishing. They're out 
and they're living many, many years. And it's a real statement about how uh, death, although it was pronounced over them because of the curse, uh, it takes a, a, a much longer time for death to catch up to people than it does today. And so, I mean, they're living very long years that you and I can hardly fathom. I mean, they're living as long as Yoda. And you're going, man, that's a long time to live. But that's what God is allowing at this, at this stage in the game. He's allowing people to multiply because he wants his blessing to multiply. Now, as the blessing of God multiplies out into the world, the curse also multiplies. Now, what we see in chapter 5 is that two things are happening at the exact same time. Blessing and curse. All, both these things happening simultaneously. So they're living long, like really long, but they all die. They live this long time. It's, it's almost hopeful, like, oh my goodness, they're living like really long lives. Methuselah, if you've ever heard of that, that person's as old as Methuselah, oldest person recorded in the Bible. That They live long, but they die. And that's, that's the end of them. So you see the gradual effects of sin and what happens when we leave the garden. This is life outside the garden. We were not created to die. We are created to live and to live eternally. So if you think about it in the scale of eternity, their life is being cut short very, very quickly. Just longer than we are used to. They live long. They all die. Uh, what's also happening here is what, what chapter 5 is all about is the line of Seth. Where chapter 4 was all about the line of Cain. So the Messiah comes through the line of Seth, and so he backs it up a little bit. And so he's going back through the genealogy. He's repeating a few things that were already mentioned in chapter 4. And it's a statement that God is over all. That the the Messiah is going to come through this line, and nothing's going to stop that. Nothing's going to trump that. God is over this this lineage, and he's blessing this lineage. And, uh, And he's also close. Do you see this Enoch, verse 21? Uh, Enoch lived, and then he, verse 22, walked with God. And then verse 24 says he walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. There's an interruption to the lineage. Everybody dies except for Enoch. So even though God is over all, he's also close. He's accessible, even in this, even in this time period, right here. I mean, this is before the cross, before the Spirit falls on the church. God making himself accessible and Enoch, taking advantage of the accessibility of God, walks with them. And, and then God took him in, in this blessed moment and, and took him to be with them uh, in heaven. So that's good. That's blessing. But side by side, that is the curse is everywhere. Look at verse 28. Lamech, you know, he calls Noah, he names him Noah and says, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed This one shall bring us relief. So while the blessing is going out, side by side the blessing is this need for relief because of the curse of the ground. Notice, from our work and the painful toil of our hands. Life is not easy. Life is long, but life is painful. Life is challenging and it's difficult. And every moment of those 900, 800, 700 years, they're wanting relief from all of this. So blessing is happening and curse is happening. 
So note this. God's blessings are unavoidable in this text. And sin's curse is unavoidable in this text. And if you scan out your life, you just look at your life, you just take an inventory right now of your life, you'll see two things happening side by side at the exact same time. Listen, every moment of the day, God's blessing and sin's curse. Just simultaneously. It's just always there. I mean, if you look around, you will see God's blessing. And if you look around, you'll see sin's curse. Sin's curse, that unwelcomed friend at every single moment of your life. Every relationship, every good thing that happens. Charles Dickens wrote a book and opened it with, it was the best of times and it was the, that's life. That's life. That's chapter 5 and that's your life and that's my life. The blessing of God ensures that life and beauty is in the world. But the curse ensures that life is never perfect. Every relationship, every accomplishment, every blessing, we still have this ache inside for relief. When's it going to get fixed? When's that relationship going to be better, going to heal? So there's beauty all around us. And there's brokenness. And wisdom is learning to recognize both at the same time. And wisdom is is recognizing the source of both at the same time. You see, it's it's never as bad as it could possibly be. You ever have those days? It's as awful as it, it, it's just all black and all dark. Well, not if you look around, you'll probably see the fingerprints of God and the beauty of God around you, but life ain't perfect either. As much as our city wants to sell that to you, that you can have it all and achieve perfection. You can achieve the perfect life. Everybody's trying for this. I'm trying this ultimate fulfillment of beauty. I'm just going to avoid the brokenness all around me. I'm just going to I can work out hard enough, and it can, I can achieve it. I can make enough money, and I can achieve it. I can get my kids in the, just the right predicament, whether that's a school or whatever it is, a sports team, whatever. I can just achieve perfection. I can, it can happen for me. It's not going to happen for you. There is beauty everywhere, but you will not escape the brokenness and the curse all around you. You will want relief. Well, the people multiply. Well, let's, let's look what else multiplies as the people multiply. Look at chapter 6 in verse 1. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. And the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So what is happening here? Well, 
uh, there's been a lot of speculation over the years about what the sons of God, who those people are, who the daughters of man are, and then what the Nephilim are. And the, the challenge with this is that sometimes sons of God can mean people, like you and I kind of people, human being people, and sometimes sons of God in the Bible shows up as angels. So that's, so some people have read this and say, well, uh, maybe the sons of God are angels, fallen angels, who have bred with human women and have created this kind of being called the, the Nephilim, which uh, sadly can also be translated giants. <laughs> and so that doesn't help us out very much because what are they creating these, these giants? And so there's been all kinds of speculation about that. So sometimes because of how sons of God is sometimes translated and sometimes how Nephilim is translated. Does that make sense? Okay. So one theory here is that these are truly fallen angels who have either uh, had sexual relations with human beings and created this odd race of people or somehow influenced human beings and created this, this race of people. Um, or there's a better view. And that, <laughs> thankfully, yeah, there was even somebody was saying that these are aliens. This is where aliens came from. It's like, well, Thank you very much. I learned more about Nephilim and this whole passage than I ever wanted to know. So let me give you the, what I think it means here. Um, if you just look at the context, and context is always king on things like this. Your, your brain and your imagination and your speculation can take you all kinds of places. Uh, if you just look at the context, this is a lineage. We're talking about people here. Uh, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them. We're talking about as people multiplied, the sons of God, uh, meaning people, it's just another name for people here, saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they indiscriminately took, uh, took, took their wives and they, they gave no thought to who they were. They gave no thoughts to the gods that they serve. And, and so some... Out of Seth, maybe not all, obviously some people walked with God like Enoch, but many, if not most, of the descendants of of Seth turned from God, took ungodly wives in their turning from God, and their descendants, which although sometimes is thought of as giants, actually means fallen ones. It just means fallen. So maybe not not a unique race of people, but a a kind of people, an attitude of people, a, a fallen people. And that's people who have fully and totally rejected God along with their parents. So men reject God, and they take women who've rejected God, and they have lots of kids who have all rejected God, and these are Nephilim. These are fallen people. And God brings his judgment. So in verse 3, after they do what they, they want and they're populating the earth, the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man Forever, for he is flesh, and his days shall be 120 years. So that kind of ends that whole 800-year thing, that whole 700-year thing. I mean, people will still live longer even after he states this. That's usually how God's judgment works. He pronounces something, but things in his mercy and in his patience take a while to catch up to what he's announced. Uh, But eventually, uh, their lives will be shortened dramatically. And, And God's desire to shorten the evil and the wickedness from the fallenness, he's shortening their lifespan even further to 120 years. And he's going to shorten it really quick when he sends the flood, as we'll see. 
So, uh, so he says, I'm, I'm not going to sustain this life in them. And as one commentator said, Bruce Waltke said, God will not endlessly permit his life-giving spirit to enliven those who disorder his world. God cares about his creation. He cares about his image being portrayed to the world in his image bearers. And that's you and that's me. We are his image bearers. And he cares about that. He cares about his creation. And his fallen ones just do anything that they want to do, which as we see in verse 11, was violence. The earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled up with violence. That's, what, that's characteristic of the life before the flood. Violence everywhere you turn. And if God removes his presence, all we would see everywhere is violence. I mean, you, you can kind of see that in some areas of the world today. I mean, you just kind of think there's just turmoil everywhere. That's all I ever hear about that. It's just turmoil and angst, anger, and violence. Well, just imagine the whole world just flooded with that kind of, that kind of fallenness. Well, in verse 4, it says that this fallenness has gotten so bad uh, that they were mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. And that's not a statement about, you know, they're men of renown because they're doing really great things. They're renowned for very evil things. So listen, holocausts don't just happen. It, it starts at the individual level, which is chapter 3. That was what that was all about. Sin infects us at the individual level. And then it spreads to the family. That's chapter 3 and 4. And then it can go all the way to a whole society. Chapter 5 and 6. A society can become institutionally corrupt and they can bring an institutionalized oppression. That's, that's how Holocaust happened. That's how people went to churches next to a, a place where, you know, people were being burned and killed. And they just, they just buried their head in the sand in the name of religion and just said, well, this is what God would have, would want, you know. That actually happens. It happens all over the world. It's happening today in places in the world. It starts here. It moves out. And it can, it can infect a whole society, a whole culture. Deep-seated racism and slavery doesn't just happen. It happens here, and then it moves out, and then it's, it can spread to a whole society, and a whole people can be filled up with violence, anger, jealousy, hatred. Well, this is what's happening. It, it, it's becoming, they're becoming famous for evil. These men and women of renown. And so notice what verse 5 says. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. I mean, note how those words are stacked up. It's intense. It's every intention. It's deep at the personal level. The thoughts of their hearts, not just the actions of their hands, but the thoughts of their hearts. It's extensive, only evil, and it's ongoing, continuously. 
That's really bad. And, and this is how sin works. It's not just moderately a problem. Sin never just wants to just be a, a, a tiny issue in your life that you're kind of dealing with while everything else sparkles with gold and glitter. And sin is this infection, this virus in us that just works and works and works and is never satisfied. It just wants more of your life, wants to control more of your life and more of your relationships and more of your mind. And you ever have a day like that where it just starts, you know, you, you start to go down this road and, and the sin and you, you know what I'm talking about? It just starts to overcome you. And you're like, how did I end up here? Well, that, that's what happens when sin just takes over and you just give it, it the reign that it so eagerly desires. Every intent of the thoughts of your heart can, can be evil continually without the grace of God in our lives. Well, that's, that's what's going on and that's, that's where we need God's grace and that's where he shows up in verse 6. So the Lord sees what's happening on the earth. And look at what verse 6. This is where grace overcomes. It says, And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Now, this is not a statement of, you know, the Bible writer admitting a mistake. Like God's admitting a mistake. Whoops. I, I made something, and now these people are out of control. I'm sorry that I made them. That's not what that's a statement of. It's also not a statement of emotional weakness. When God is saying, I'm sorry that I made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. It's a statement of his love for his creation. Now, notice what the next verse says. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I made them. So notice what's being communicated here. God is sorry that he has made them and it grieved him to his heart. And notice the words, I will blot out man whom I have created. So listen, God, God has the right In his creation, as the creator, as the one who stamps his image on his image bearers and says, go and multiply and fill the earth. And and the one who says, walk closely in fellowship with me and I will supply all of your needs and I will provide for you. As the creator, when his creation turns from him and chooses to do things that are only evil continuously, he has the right to undo his creation. He has the right to step in And undo his creation. And he has the right to feel grieved in his heart in a way that you and I have no idea about. I mean, we we can look at that and we can say, what are we talking about? You're going to just undo creation? And and we can almost think we love love creation and we love people more than God loves people. More than God loves creation. And that's false. God loves his creation. And as he looks out at what's happening in his creation, it's getting corrupt and it's getting polluted with sin. He looks out and he's grieved in his heart because he loves his creation and he loves the people in his creation. And they are doing what ought not to be done. 
And he looks at that and he says, I'm going to blot out man whom I've created. Note that, whom I've created. I'm going to step in and I'm in love going to enact justice. And that's what judgment is. It's justice. It's a manifestation of God's, listen, mercy towards his image and love towards his creation, both people and the planet. So everybody's getting blotted out in this statement. I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. Man and animals and creeping things. Well, what did the creeping things do? They were close to man. The whole place had gotten corrupt because of the decisions that men had. What about the birds of the heavens? They're getting blotted out too. Note, for I'm sorry that I've created them. We, we can't know fully the mercy and the love and the grief that God is experiencing in this moment as he makes this statement, but it's a statement of his love. It's a statement of his justice. And it's a statement that he is deciding to limit the evil by wiping out humanity as he states this. And he has the right to do that. And before we think we're more loving than him, we've never been the creator of the universe And we've never loved and we've never sent our son to die on the cross for all of humanity that anybody could be reconciled and be in relationship with him through faith alone. So we there's there's a love and a mercy in the heart of God and a grief that we've never experienced that we don't know as we read this. And look at verse eight. Grace finds its signature spot in this whole text. This last verse we're looking at, it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, there's a difference between finding favor and winning favor. You guys know the difference? You can, you can win favor. You can earn favor with people. If you're clever, you're smart, you're cute, whatever, you can maybe win an audience with people, and you can win favor. You can get out of something or something like that. Uh, but you can only find favor with God. It's the difference between a paycheck and an inheritance. How do you get a paycheck? You earn it. You win it. You work hard for it, and you can get it. How do you get an inheritance? You receive it. You find it. It doesn't matter how hard I work. I'm not going to get an inheritance if, some, if somebody else is going to receive that. So there's the difference between finding and winning. And sometimes uh, this idea of, of Noah finding favor, it, it's imported this idea that Noah's going around among all the wickedness of the earth. And he is just this really, really righteous person uh, without any help or mercy and grace coming and flowing from God. That's just kind of in him naturally. He's just this really good person. That's not true. Uh, Noah is in verse 5 before he is in verse 9. <laughs> Did we see that? He's a righteous and blameless man in verse 9, which Craig is going to show us next week as we do kind of a part 2 of Noah. But before he's in verse 9, he's in verse 5. 
He didn't earn or, or win favor, but he received favor from God. So let's end with this. How do we find favor with God? What's this story teach me about my past or maybe about my present? Maybe things are really dark for you. Maybe the lights have been turned out for you. And you're like, how in the world can I find favor with God? Because I resonate with verse 5. Like all, like my thoughts are only evil continuously. Or things that have been done to me have been some wicked things. And it makes me angry at God. It makes me angry at people. It makes me angry at the world. And all I ever want to do is think violently or act violently. And just act on this fallenness. Well, this, this teaches us, if we can look at the cross, about how we find favor with God. And, and here's how it is. Listen, uh, this teaches us the gospel. Listen, in love, God created us to be with him. You see that in the lineage because you see that in Enoch. Enoch walked with God. That's how and, and why God created you. God created you to walk with him. He created you to know him. He created you to be in a relationship with him. He created you in love. In love, he created you. And, and it, it grieves him to his heart for that not to happen. For you to walk away from God and to live your life in independency from God does not please him. God does not delight in the death of the wicked, which is what wickedness is defined by in the Bible, is to walk away from God. God's not delighted in that. He's grieved by that. In love, he created you to be with him. But listen, sin separates us from God and always ends in death. That's why all the other people in the lineage, it was always repeated, and he died. And he died. Listen, put your name right there in the lineage. I don't care how much protein you're eating. I don't care how Whole30 your diet is. At some point... In your life, you're going to show up, and it's going to say, after all your wonderful accomplishments, and she died. Why? Because of the curse of sin. It's not how God created us to be, but because we walked away from from God, and Adam and Eve did as well, sin separates us from God, and it always ends up in death. That's what Romans 5 says Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men. All men. That means all people. Every person. Every person in your life. Every person in your world. Draw a big circle around your world. Every person in there. Every godly person there. The disease of death and separation from God has spread to And like Noah, listen, God sends Jesus to offer the world rescue from death. Lamech says, I'm going to name him Noah because he's going to bring relief. He's he's the appointed one. Lamech didn't quite know what was going to happen and how he was going to bring relief. But we know, and we know why Jesus is the appointed one for us to find relief from the curse of sin and the separation from God. Through faith in Jesus alone, listen, no matter what you've done, you can find favor with God. 
You say, well, how does that happen? Faith alone, according to the Bible, this is, I'm not making this up, trusting in Jesus alone, and that means repenting of your life of other gods and your life of sin and trusting in Jesus alone. No other gods, no other way for me, no other hope for me. Trusting in Jesus alone, just that. Not that plus a bunch of your good deeds and your good works on top of that. Just that makes you in a favorable position with God. You will find favor with God. This is what Hebrews says. And this is the last verse I'm going to say. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. He's like, I love Enoch and I'm just going to bring him home like right now. Just bam, there goes Enoch. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Well, how? How was he commended for having pleased God? It's the secret to how we can please God. He says it. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards Those who seek him. Faith is believing that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Well, how do I seek him and how do I draw near to him? Well, you don't work at it. You don't pile up a bunch of to-do things that you could do that are righteous things. You trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ in his death for you and his resurrection for you. And you say with your heart, that's enough. That's enough for me. And if you rest in Jesus alone, just that, just that, God is, listen, pleased 100% with you. Just in that. That's what Romans says. Listen, that's the gospel. That's the good news. To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. Who's the ungodly? You are and I am. How do you get justified? You believe in him, which is the opposite of trying to work towards him in in some kind of moral effort towards him. Just as, I'm sorry, if you believe in him and justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. How do I become righteous? It's just faith in him. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose Lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. It can be really dark for you right now. And you could say, how in the world could I ever find favor with God? Here's how. Jesus died on the cross for you and he offers to you his nail-scarred hands that if you receive him by faith alone, you say, I'm not going to rest in my own works, you can escape the lineage of death and you can walk with God today. And you're in, you're in a room full of people who've done that very thing. So here's how we're going to close. We're going to close, if you could stand, we're going to close with a song. And this is an opportunity as a, as a Christian 
to sing to him and say, my, my heritage was, was, uh, was Lamech. <laughs> my heritage was sin and, and evil and death. And God, in his mercy, he stepped in. He stepped in in his grace, in his love. And even though my, my sin had grieved him and my separation from him had grieved him, he didn't create me to be away from him. He pulled me in to know him and to be in relationship with him and to love him. And we need to celebrate, listen, that we have the favor of God, just like Noah had in his day. And Noah's going to be given a mission we're going to see next, next week. Noah's given a mission to build an ark for hundreds of years and to say, come, come get into this ark of safety. And listen, we got the same mission. And, and if you are a believer in Jesus, you've got the same favor on your life. God is pleased with you in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you can call upon him. You can repent of your sins and say, I want to trust in Jesus alone. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.